We have the privilege of being in a three-week series. Uh, for those of you who are here last week, we had Clark Zombrecker here, who is the director of ministries at our sister congregation in Brighton, Antioch, Brighton. And this week, we have another dear friend of ours, Danny Pierce, and Lisa, his wife, Lisa Wave. I'll let him introduce you a little bit later if he wants to, his wife. Um, they are our dear friends and, and have been missionaries for the last seven years in Asia, um, Danny has been with us as a church in various capacities from setting up chairs on Sunday morning to working in our missions aid office to leading life groups and teaching a class on how to uh, study the Bible for all it's worth and now has been, as I said, on the mission field for seven years and is back with us and he's an excellent teacher and he's going to take up um, part two in our series on the Word. So, Danny, we're glad that you're here. Let me pray over you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this man of God. We thank you for the life of uh, your life in him and the truth that dwells in him, not just uh, as one who thinks, but one who lives out the word. And so, God, we ask that uh, our ears would be ready to hear what you have to say through him and that you would anoint him to proclaim. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. How are we doing? We're on. You can hear me okay? Yes? No? Good. Okay. Sorry, I can't really hear myself. So. Uh, I mean, not to the... Hi. Uh, anyone else have a bit of a chaotic morning? Yeah? I, I, wasn't, I, I was chaotic enough that I missed the prayer time before this, which is bad when you're the preacher, like you should show up for prayer. And, uh, and somebody told me, he's like, well, Sean got this word this morning. So uh, it's just one of those days. And so, uh, but we're so glad to be here. Uh, this... You know, Antioch is our, our family. As Sean said, I've, I've been a part of Antioch here in Boston, in the Boston area, for over 16 years. My wife uh, was a part of Antioch uh, Waco back in, in Baylor, Texas, or Baylor, Waco, Texas, near Baylor University. Uh, was actually there for the very first Sunday that they ever had a church service. It was so. The point is that we are ingrained in this in this family, and so a lot of you in this room we don't know well. Some of you are like really close friends. Some of you we don't know. Um, but it really is very much a family to us, and so we're, I'm just, we're honored to be here. This is my wife, Lisa. We've been married. Yeah. Thank you for clapping. It gives me time to do the math on how long we've been married. Uh, I think we're at about 11 and a half years. Um, Sean actually was the one who did our, our wedding. Um, and we have four children. Uh, Mary, who just turned 10. Luke, who is 8. Matabo, who is 2. And Ruthie, who will be 2 soon. Uh, some of you guys will remember we were here, I can't remember when, a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and we were in the process of adopting a little girl from Lesotho, which is a tiny little country inside of South Africa, and uh, who, it's our daughter, Matabo, who you will probably see running around at some point in time. Uh, thank you. I know so many of you guys have prayed for us in that journey. Uh, it's still a journey, and uh, as, as many of you know, adoption um, is a beautiful, wonderful thing, and it also has many challenges, and so... Uh, praise the Lord that we, um, after years of waiting, uh, felt called to adoption, years of waiting, that he, he finally gave us a, a daughter for our family. And so, thank you guys for praying for that. So, all right, so the Bible. I like talking about the Bible. I, I can just ramble. That's just what I'm going to do for like the next 30 minutes, and just ramble. Um, uh, so we actually preached this series at, at our sister church in, in Brighton uh, a couple months ago. And as I was working on the sermon then, I was asking the Lord, so what do you, 
what do you really want to say? Is there, is there a, a, a specific push you want, to, uh, want through this sermon? And my topic was literally uh, getting into the Bible. Is it? And that, it's like, now just do something with it. So I was asking the Lord, what, what is it you want to speak to us? And um, he actually brought up an experience I had with him about two years ago. Uh, I was in a country called Slovenia. Uh, it's it's a, a little country. It was right now, we were right over the uh, border from Italy. And I was actually part of a conference for the broader Antioch network of missionaries overseas. And uh, it was a great time. Uh, I mean, basically, it was hanging out with people who were planting churches all over the world, eating breakfast overlooking the Adriatic Sea with dolphins jumping out of the water. It was real rough. Praise, you know, just for the sake of the gospel, we had to be there. And so, uh, but I was having, I was in the midst of this paradise. I was actually having a really hard day one day and just praying like, Lord, what is, you know, what's going on here? Um, Why am I so low? Why am I so down? And oftentimes when that happens, um, the Lord just kind of reminds me of of his faithfulness in my life. I don't know if you, you guys do this, where my tendency is to go down the list of all the things, all my failures, all the things I've done wrong, and it just drives me low and dep- you know, into depression. But the Lord, he counteracts that with his faithfulness. But this day is a little different because he uh, brought me back to recount uh, his faithfulness before I was even born, uh, specifically with my parents. So my, my parents, uh, I'm the, the fourth of six kids in my family, um, and it's, it's a struggle sometimes to think that your parents had a life before you were born. Like, what did they do before I showed up on this earth, you know? And, but they did. They actually had a whole life, and, and my father had a career in the Navy. Uh, he spent 21 years in the Navy, and um, it was about in the mid-'70s, a few years before I was born. Uh, my parents, um, if, if you were to ask them, they would probably would refer to themselves as, at that time, they were uh, religiously observant people, right? Uh, you know, they believe there's a God, and they were good people, and they did the certain religious activities that you're supposed to do. Um, but the, the, in terms of faith that they owned and was personal, it wasn't really there for them. Uh, and this is, I think this is how they would describe it. Um, and so uh, my father had two guys on his submarines. So my father spent years uh, on submarines, and he had, he had um, two guys who were Christians who started sharing the gospel with him. And, uh, you know, telling them about the grace of God, about Jesus, dying, you know, dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead. And my father was not really all that interested. It was kind of like the, the classic New England. I heard somebody else say this. In the South, if you try to share the gospel with somebody, like, oh, no, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist. I'm okay. Up here, it's like, no, I'm all set. All set, thanks, right? So that's my father's giving them the double stiff arm, all set, thanks. And uh, so they actually tried to bought him a Bible and just said, why don't you read it? Just read the Bible, Right? And my father, who uh, would have considered himself a Christian of some sort, um, said, okay, you know. And I, I say that's interesting because of all the evangelism trainings and classes I've been to in life, very rarely have I ever heard somebody say, really what you should do is open up the Bible with people, right? We have a lot of ideas, and, and I'm just going to throw that out there. But he started reading the Bible, and he got to passages like Ephesians 2, you know, 8, 9, and 10. This whole, you know, it's by grace you have been saved through faith not by works, right, lest anyone should boast. And, um, and he started to realize that he had been going about everything backwards, right? That in, in that passage, it's pretty clear there's grace, faith, salvation, works. And if you mess up that order, you mess everything up. And my father was going about it the other way. Do you understand? And his eyes opened up. And he said, I- I've got I've to know this God more. And he started following Jesus that way through reading the Bible, so I bring this up because I felt like what the Lord was saying to me 
um, is this legacy of, of Bible reading started before I was even born. My early memories of my parents waking up in the morning and seeing them read the Bible. Right? They sit on opposite ends of the kitchen table. My mom still has a stack about this big of books and like four different Bible translations and all these different things and notes and prayer notes that she writes down. And that's, that's those a lot of my memories. And so uh, the Lord is showing me that the reason why I really love the Bible is because I, in a sense, I inherited this love. Now, I have to grab it, right? Not all my siblings have grabbed that yet. Um, and so what is the Lord saying to all of us here? And this is why I think he brought this up. There's a lot of us in this room who, who probably feel like we need a little bit of a course correction or the trajectory of our life is not quite what we want it to be. Um, and we think about whether you have kids or not doesn't really matter. Think about what is this legacy I'm leaving behind? The, my coworkers, how would they describe me? My friends, my neighbors, my family. Um, am I leaving something for them? Am I going to be known for something that, that I really want to be lasting? And so what, what is this legacy? What, and, and what kind of course correction do I need? I can think of no better way to begin this than to begin by reading the Bible to be reading the Bible more. The course of my life changed a few years before I was born because Don Pierce, in a steel tube underwater in the middle of some ocean somewhere, opened up the Bible and began reading. And it changed the course of my life. And I didn't even exist yet. (laughs) But it changed the course of my life. If you want to change the course of your life and those around you, this is a great place to start. It's not the only thing we do, but it is a major thing that we do. And so I would love to see Antioch become known as people of the book, truly people of the book who earn that title. And so, my, honestly, my goal here today is actually pretty simple. I just want to see people read the Bible more. I want people to get excited and, and, and read it in, in big chunks and not just, you know, go after our favorite verses, although that's a wonderful thing, but say, I'm going to wrestle with Scripture. When I preached this in Brighton a couple months ago, I was so excited to find out that there were groups through that week in their life group ditched their plan, and just read. Like, they open up Galatians. We're just going to read all of Galatians aloud in one sitting, and we're just going to talk about it. And then we will talk about how powerful it is. And so uh, I just want to encourage you. That's what we're going to do. Um, and and, and that's, that's the goal, is to see change in our life through the reading of the Word. Uh, now, if you are a how-to person, um, I joked with Brighton Church, and I said it again, usually my thing is like this, step, five steps. Step one is open up your Bible and read it. Steps two through five are repeat step one. Just, just read it, right? Just read it. Um, I want to focus a little bit more on the why. Why do we read the Bible? Why is it so important? It sounds like, like an odd question, perhaps, because, you know, we're Christians. Christians should read the Bible, right? And I suppose obligation isn't a horrible answer. It's just not going to get you very far. Um, I mean, if that's where you have to start, then okay. Um, and sometimes it's, well, I read the Bible because I need to know right from wrong, or I want direction for my life, things like that. And those are good answers, uh, and I hope you get those things, but they still actually make us the center of our Bible reading, right? This, do you ever encounter this? And I'm not saying, please don't, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, it's great. Read the Bible and say, Lord, speak to me. What am I supposed to do about X, right? We do it. I do it all the time. But the purpose of the Bible is not just to tell me right from wrong, or take this and you know take this step and don't take this one. 
the purpose of the Bible is greater than that. Okay, so we're going to put up on the screen here uh, John 17.3. So I'm going to answer this why question. Danny Pierce style is always roundabout. Direct answers are boring. Can we agree? You might not agree, but you're so holy. So Christ-like. Oh, boy. Um, John 17.3. I don't have a life verse, but if I did, this would probably be it. John 17, to give you a little context, is Jesus praying right before he's uh, going to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested, tried, right? And they, they bring him to trial and they, and they uh, execute him. And I just, side note, uh, if you want to, you know, what would people pray in their last night on earth? They know they're going to die. What are they going to pray? John 17 is it for Jesus. So sit down and read it sometime. John 17, 3, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Ask people. Now, I find this verse really interesting, because I think if we were to say, ask people, how would you define or describe eternal life? I wonder how many of us would say, oh, it's knowing God. Like, that probably would not have been my answer if it weren't for the fact that I read this verse. <laughs> you know, like, if you, I mean, it's a hard thing. How would you describe eternal life? Am I right? That's a hard question to answer. Right, you got like the medieval ages, where they have the people on harps, you know, playing harps floating on clouds and things like that. Which I think we all agree that that's probably not exactly what heaven's going to be like. Um, it's a hard, you know, it's one of these. I know what the word eternal means. I know what life means. You put them together, and I'm not quite sure what to make of it, other than it's going to be pretty cool. But Jesus says, "This is eternal life: to know you, God, and to know Jesus, the one He sent." Um, and this is what I love about this one. It really hits me. Uh, knowing God is one of those things in life that while we don't understand what all of eternity is going to be like, we do know that we will carry this with us forever. That knowing God isn't something that starts later. It can start now. That is, we start to experience eternal life today. Do you understand? This is the, the, the goal. What better pursuit to give ourselves to, than to know God, to experience eternal life now and not just have to wait for it. And so why do we read the Bible? It's because in the Bible, God reveals himself, right? God reveals himself in so many ways. He reveals himself in creation. The Bible clearly states this in Psalm 19. We see his glory. We see his handiwork in creation. Um, But the Bible really is an act of self-revelation, right? It's got a lot of cool things in there. It's got stories. It's got records of, of history. It's got a lot of do's and don'ts and all these other things. But I want to make sure that we don't miss the why. We read the Bible to know God. He wants to be known. Time and time again, he says in the word, I am doing this so that you will know that I am the Lord your God, Right? And so God wants to be known. The greatest act of God's self-revelation is in Jesus. Can we agree on that? Right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which is an amazing statement. But just help me out here. Where are we going to learn more about Jesus? The Bible. The Bible's the answer. You know, this is like Sunday school. Just when in doubt, Jesus or the Bible are your answers, right? Uh, God's spirit lives within us. He testifies within us that we are children of God, right? Is that correct? 
Where do we learn that from? The Bible, right? The Bible. God is revealing himself to us. So I know I keep repeating it, but I just want to get this in. We actually get to know God. I've spent seven years of my life in, in Southeast Asia in, um, in, 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 with, uh, working with, with Muslims. We have so many friends, so many people we love. And in traditional Islam, uh, they will tell you, you cannot know God. You can know, uh, you can know his will. You can know what he wants you to do, what he doesn't want you to do. But you can't actually know him. It is a radical thing for us to say we can actually know God than to know he's revealed himself. So I can think of a better reason to read the Bible than to know God. Does anybody here uh, know what Discovery Bible Study is, DBS? Do you guys do that here at all? What's the first question you ask when you do DBS? What does this passage tell us about God or something along those lines? You're already doing it. Right? When we te- when in, in, um, in Indonesia and in Malaysia, when we would have new believers, people come to the Lord, that's this, the thing you teach them to do, right? Because they need to know who is God. He wants them to know. And so who is the Lord? What is he like? You can either follow along in your Bibles or you can just listen. Okay? Listen to, to, to what, the, what the word says. And then ask yourself, what is this teaching me? What is God speaking to me about who he is? Let's focus on God. I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd, He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those to have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is no one. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it sits enthroned above the circle of the earth? And its people the mount are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or to who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? 
because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And we could keep going. And I want to keep, keep in mind, I should have said this maybe before we started reading, Isaiah is speaking to people who are in exile. They have been taken over, dragged away from their homes. And his encouragement is God is revealing himself. Go up, stand on the mountain, and say, here is your God. This is what he's like. The circumstances of life are pulling our attention away from him. And we think, but this, these rulers are, 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 are evil. What is God going to do? And we don't understand what's happening. And Isaiah is saying, God has this under control. All of these things about life, and I'm not saying that they're not important, have to be understood in the light of who God is. Uh, a while back, I'd read a quote from an astronomer. Uh, I think he taught at uh, Berkeley in California, not the School of Music. I doubt there's astronomy classes here. <laughs> and um, and he, I, I don't remember what the number was. But basically, he said, we know almost nothing about the universe. I mean, like he gave a percentage. He's like, we know less than 0.4%. You know, I don't know how you figure that. But, I mean, this is in, in, we, we're not talking about some slouch. You know, this is a, a brilliant scientist. He's like, we really don't know anything about it, if we're going to be honest. And I, I am attracted to humility. You know? And this is a guy who's brilliant. And in terms of human standards, it's as smart as they come. And he's like, we, we're like little kids when we look at the universe. We don't know. But God does. This passage reminds us, he's the one who called out the stars. He gave them names. He knows everything about them. He knows how long they've been around, how much longer they will be around, and all these you know, things that I don't understand about how the universe works. He's got it. And he didn't ask Berkeley scientists about how to do it. He just did it, right? And yet, as it says in verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This God, who is powerful and majestic and sovereign, and he rules over the whole universe, and yet he's also a little shepherd who holds lambs, right? Who can't walk on their own. Who is it? He doesn't appoint someone else to go take care of them. He does. Now that's like two minutes of reflection on an amazing passage. You can, and maybe you should, this week, open up Isaiah 40 and just start reading it and saying, God, reveal yourself. You're going to spend a long time thinking about it. There's a lot in here. And I actually had more passages for the sake of time. I, we can't do them all. Uh, but um, you can spend forever on these sort of things, just saying, God, reveal yourself to me, right? And that's because that's what he wants. We read the Bible to know God. Now, not the God of our own creation, not the God that we want him to be, right? Is there other times when you read the Bible and you're uncomfortable with how it portrays God? Does that ever happen? Yes, happens to me all the time. I would like to think, I'm like, oh, that's no problem. I'll just, you know, but sometimes I have to wrestle with it. And the truth is, I don't know who it was who first said it, uh, but somebody said it. In the beginning, God created man and woman in his image, and ever since then, we've tried to return the favor. Have you guys ever heard that, something like that? We do. We do. We want God to be a certain way. And, and, and so this is a little bit of a, of a tangent. Um, but then one of the questions, I think, when it comes to reading the Bible is, are we willing to let God be God? Or are we wanting a domesticated God that we're comfortable with? Right? And so, uh, and, and it happens so often, especially now where so much of the Bible, like, but this isn't like socially acceptable. 
right? If I talked about this passage with my friends, they'd be like, oh, but that doesn't work. And, you know, and we, so we start to try to uh, weave our way through the Bible without offending people around us. You guys know, I mean, this is a temptation. It's a legitimate temptation. And I think we forget, though, that the Bible wasn't socially acceptable when it was written, right? I mean, read the prophets sometimes. I did this in college where I read through Jeremiah, and I was like, how many people joined up with Jeremiah when he's preaching the word of God? You know how many I found? One guy, and it was Jeremiah's scribe. So he was doing it because he was getting paid, right? Uh, You know what I mean? Like, no one was joining the Jeremiah fan club. So the Bible has never been socially acceptable. God has never been socially acceptable. And if he has, if like, oh no, our society we love, it's probably because we've changed him enough, or our picture of him, to make him socially acceptable. You guys tracking with me? So I know it's a, it's a little bit of a tangent, uh, but it's that challenge of I want to know God, and I'm not going to predetermine what about him I want to know. I'm not going to decide ahead of time I want to know God as this, loving Father, but when it comes to justice and judgment, I don't like it. I'm going to ignore it. He is complex. He doesn't fit the box. He doesn't play a role. But the truth is, I wonder if we've just done the same thing with Jesus as we have with God, the Father. And what I mean is, um, does Jesus really make it easy and comfortable to follow him? So when I was in Lesotho, this hit me when we would do evangelism trainings with, uh, with believers and, and trying to get them to go out there and share the gospel. And, um, you know, w- one of the common verses or passages we use, because it's well known, is um, in, in the gospels when Jesus calls his disciples and he says, you know, drop your nets, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You guys know this passage, right? And I, somewhere along the line it hit me that we kind of pass over some of the passages, like when people come up to Jesus and they're so excited about who he is, like, we want to follow you. And Jesus says things like, hey, that's great. Just so you know, birds have nests, foxes have dens. I have nowhere to lay my head. In other words, if you want to follow me, the same guy who said, hey, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men, also chased people away and said, look, you can follow me, but this is going to be hard. Or how many times have, you know, when somebody's really struggling in life or or something and you say, hey, you know, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? Come, ye who are weary. Which is true, Jesus does say that. He also says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Now, I don't remember in all my evangelism training saying that. So I'm pointing the finger at myself where I'm standing up with, with people and saying, All right, guys, we're going to share the gospel. It's going to be hard. In fact, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow. What what happened when Jesus picked up his cross? He died. Let's go. Let's go share the gospel. My point here is Jesus offended everyone. Loving Jesus, meek and mild. And at some point, everyone, including his close friends, got angry with him. I mean, one of his closest friends and disciples, and he referred to him as Satan. That's not meek and mild, right? It's offensive. And so I'm bringing this up because I don't think it's going to be hard to convince people, hey, read your Bible and, and, and learn Jesus. I'm saying read it and wrestle with it. Fight through Scripture. Read the hard stuff, right? And, 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 and really try to understand who is this God? Who is Jesus? And I'm going to let 
God be God. I'm going to let Jesus be Jesus. That requires us to rewire our brains a little bit, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, as Paul says in Romans 12. So we encounter Christ. Now, it's not all hard. And uh, one of the things I, I, I did this morning a little bit ago, um, and just writing down, what, what do some things say about Jesus, right? And so who is Jesus and what does he do? He brings adoption for us as God's children. We find God's grace in Jesus. He brings redemption. He brings forgiveness of sins. In Christ, the mysteries of God are revealed. Under Christ, all things are brought into unity. We were chosen in him. Our hope is in Christ. He was raised from the dead. He is the head of the church. We are made alive in Christ. We are seated with Christ. God's kindness is expressed in Jesus. We are created in Christ to do good works. He is the reconciler of racial divisions. He is the one who reconciles us to God. He brings peace. He brings access to the Father. He is the cornerstone of God's household. I love this stuff. And all of that that I just said came from the first two chapters of Ephesians. How much more, if we dig into the word, seriously, write it down. What does this tell us about Jesus? That's like 20 things from two chapters. And that's not even wrestling with it yet. That's just writing them down and asking God, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for our church? Reveal yourself to me and let it change me. So what I'm trying to do here is, obviously, there's the encouragement to read the Bible. Why do we read the Bible? To know God. We serve and we worship and we love a God who reveals himself to us. And we're going to learn that through reading the word. I am trying to give you a fair warning. That is not always easy. It just isn't. I've spent, you know, I did an undergrad in biblical studies. I went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I've, I've read through a lot of this, and I'm still to this day wrestling with it. Every time, so I force myself to read through the Minor Prophets because it's not natural for most of us. Every time I read Habakkuk, I cringe. I do. It's not a hard book to understand. Right? Sometimes we're like, oh, the Bible's just so hard to understand. Look, guys, yes, there are portions of the Bible that are hard to understand. There are people in this room who are literal geniuses. Right? We, I mean, some of you guys are wicked smart. You can understand the Bible. Right? It's not so much understanding what does it mean. It's accepting it. Habakkuk is one of those books that I struggle with. I'm like, man, this is not an easy one to understand. It's understand in the terms of a point. But I'm not comfortable with the way God portrays himself. Right? I force myself to do it. Because it is a part of who God is. It challenges us. It challenges our plans. It takes us in directions we weren't intending. I did not intend for my life to end up at this point. If you would ask me 20 years ago, this isn't where I wanted to go. Years of wrestling with Scripture forced me to the mission field. It it was not the plan, right? I'm not some super gung-ho, let's get out there and change the world. I'm, I'm, I'm content not changing the world, if I'm honest. I'm pretty content just being Danny Pierce. That's it. But because I spent the time wrestling through Scripture and wrestling with who God is, and I started to see aspects of his heart and of his character that I was not uh, uh, aware of or I didn't pay attention to because it would have changed my life. Well, thank God it did change my life. Because as hard as it is, uh, we get to know God. And I know I keep repeating it, and you're like, okay, Daniel, next point. There is no next point today. Um, We get to know the God who created all things, who sustains all things, will one day reconcile all things. 
he reveals himself to us and he says, come and know me. And we get to do it every time we open up the word. I just can't think of a greater privilege in life. I don't care what celebrity or politician or Christian figure or godly man or woman that you admire, meeting them and getting to know them is nothing compared to getting to know the God that we just read about in Isaiah 40. And if you keep reading in all these other places in Scripture, it it will blow your mind of who God is. But we won't get there unless you open it up and stick your nose in the book for long periods of time. Listen to it. Read it. Dance to it if that's your thing. Get creative. But the point is to read it. To get in and read it. One of the questions that came to my mind as I was thinking about, okay, so Lord, what are you speaking through this and and how are we supposed to wrestle with this? Is to think about what are the obstacles for me to reading the Bible to know God? Not just to reading the Bible, but what is it that holds me back from opening up the word and saying, God, I want you to reveal yourself in all your complexity, whether it's easy or not. Are there things that hold us back from being able to do that? And today's a good day to start to wrestle with that. And whether it's with someone else in your, in your family, a friend, your life group, whatever, uh, but to say, will you pray with me about this? Amen? Amen.